All right, this is the second half of last week's recording, and we went so long, we cut this. What you're about to hear is one very long conversation, almost two hours, between Matt Slick and a Muslim that came in that really impressed both Matt and I, a 19-year-old kid who really understood church history better than most Christian seminary students, really knew his stuff, was a good conversation, but listen for the end because you'll see that both Matt and I got this guy where he had to go, let's get back to that, let's get back to that, let me think about that, because he was stuck when we turned the tables on him. He was fine attacking Christianity, but when the tables were turned onto Islam, he didn't quite have the answers. Listen to today's Apologetics Live. Apologetics Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. Okay, we are live. Well, not really quite live. This is recorded, was live, and this is the second half. So we hope that you will enjoy this episode. And I'm going to cut right over to it now with Muhammad. Well, I just added in Muhammad, who was chatting away. We finally got him to come in, unlike Reformed Calvinist, who, um, yeah, well, he's probably just too scared to come in. But Muhammad was willing to come in. So, Muhammad, you can unmute yourself. Um, let's see, I might be... Oh, no, there you go. And let me pull your volume up. There you go. So, go ahead and ask your question. Uh, I'm from the UK. Um, uh, Matt? Yeah. Um, I have a question uh, for... Uh, how can Christ be God when he said in John 20, I go to your God and my God. So, can God have a God? Um, it's a very pretty typical uh, question asked by atheists. I mean, atheists, um, Muslims, and um, the, they fail to study biblical theology and understand what the issues are. So when he says, "How can you be God?" when he says he has a God, that's a, a demonstration of the failure to understand the difference in the terms. When we see he, when we say he is God, we're saying he has the the divine nature. When we say he has a God, then we're not talking about just that divine nature, but about the person, in this case of the Father. So there's a difference. There's a difference between the terms and how they're used. And we've got to be careful for the issue of, of of equivocation, which is what you fell into without knowing that. That's one thing. The other thing is that Jesus was made under the law, Galatians four four, made for a while little lower than the angels, Hebrews two nine. Being under the law he was required to pray to God, required to serve God, to obey. And so he's in reference to God the Father. He would call him his God, but not as though he's a God and then Jesus is another God, which is what Muslims sometimes mistakenly accuse us of, which is not our position. Okay. Um, you said I did a false equivocation. I disagree. Um when you said uh, Jesus Christ, it was his human nature, uh, you said, my God, right? And you said he was a human person. I thought in Christian theology, Christ is a divine person. And when you said he was lower than the angels, I'm sure that's a kenosis heresy, right? Um, 
Okay. So you're, I, I, I commend you for trying to study, but you've misapplied them. You need to understand what the kenosis heresy is. And let me ask you, do you know where it's spoken of, where the kenosis theory and heresy comes from? Yes, in Philippines 2.11, to where he, when you said he was lower than the angels, so he lost his divine attributes. So No, oh, well, well, no, I didn't quote Philippians 2 for that. His made for a little while lower than the angels. That was Hebrews 2.9. And where in that does it say he abandoned his um, divine attributes? No, no, I'm saying the kenosis heresy is when, when obviously when um, someone says, oh, he isn't fully God, and so he didn't have this... All right. Like the foreknowledge, right? When people say Christ didn't know the hour of day, and then people say it was because he was human, that would be a kenosis heresy, right? Uh, not necessarily, but depends on how it's carried out. So here's the thing. Um, when you say Jesus is God, what you mean, what we mean by that is he is divine. That's why I say to people, Jesus is divine, and he serves God the Father. And God as a trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each of the persons are divine by nature. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, so therefore we have the person of Christ with two distinct natures, the divine nature and the human nature. But he's not He's not a Christ. You wouldn't say Christ is an uh, addition formula. He's not human nature plus divine nature equals person, Jesus. Jesus' person is the Logos. He is the eternal divine person. So his person is incarnate. It's not correct. How is that not correct? Jesus is not the eternal divine word. He's not? No, you don't hear what you're saying. No, he is the, he's the personhood is his logos. He added human nature. He isn't an additional formula. Okay, you, you ready? Let's get more precise. The word is eternal. The person of Jesus began 2,000 years ago. Is Jesus a human person or a divine person? Let me finish. The person can you, of can you Can you answer that, please? Because then I understand. I do not like it when Muslims tell me how to answer the questions I want to answer. I just want to just wonder, yes or no. Is he a divine person or human person? I do not like it when Muslims tell me how they want me to answer a question. Muhammad, he is trying to answer your question. You're cutting him off. So either you're going to listen to the answer or you're not going to get the answer. But he's answering you. But you're asking of, of an invalid question. He needs Mas to correct okay, your question. I'm trying to show you what the answer is, and you interrupt me and tell me how to answer. I'm showing you that you're doing Nestorianism. Okay. Um, maybe. I just want to ask you, is he a human person or a divine person? Okay. Um, maybe what you might want to consider is to uh, be patient. Instead of demanding how I'm to answer, why don't you show some humility and let me answer the way I choose to answer? Go for it. Yes, sir. Go on. That's polite of you. It shouldn't be that I have to get on a Muslim because doesn't Surah 2, oh, where was that, 53 to 43, tell you to be humble before people? Because you're not doing it. You're breaking the Quranic requirement. You don't have to deflect, uh, Matt. You can carry on. Uh, deflect? See, I battle Muslims, and you're typical of a Muslim. You want to dominate and control. I'm not going to No, gonna I'm asking you a question. I'm not, I'm not controlling you can yeah. have the platform. There you go. Speak. Oh, don't tell me to speak. I'm not going to play by your rules. I, I want to answer the way I want to answer. That's how it is. You answer the way you want to okay. answer. I just, okay. Oh. okay, Matt, I'm just going to, uh, I'm bringing his volume down until you're done answering and then we'll bring him back up. So go ahead and answer. 
Well, now uh, what I'm trying to tell him is that the word he doesn't he wasn't listening. He doesn't want to listen. Apparently, this is how Muslim. This is instructional for a lot of people. You got to understand. This is what Muslims do. This is how Muslims are. They're not, they don't have humility. They have arrogance, and they want to tell you how to answer, when to answer, and if you don't answer the way they want you to answer, they interrupt you and tell you you're you're wrong. They don't listen. And I, I am so tired of that kind of attitude and mentality with Muslims. So I'm just calling him on the carpet on this. Now, here's what we have to understand as Christians. Jesus it began 2,000 years ago. What we mean by that is that Jesus, who has two distinct natures, a divine nature and a human nature, this union began 2,000 years ago. The word which is the second person of the Trinity, is eternal. Jesus, the human aspect of Christ, the human aspect of Christ, had a beginning 2,000 years ago because humanity is, by definition, not eternal in the past. So when we have the hypostatic union that in the one person of Jesus are two distinct natures, that hypostatic union began 2,000 years ago. Now, what he did was accused me of teaching Nestorianism, which tells me he doesn't understand what he's saying. Nestorianism is that there's two persons in the body of Christ. That's the basic view of Nestorianism. That's not what I was teaching. So, <clears throat> excuse me, to get uh, to the point, again, to reiterate, the man Jesus, the, um, the human Jesus began, this part of Jesus, I don't like to use the word parts, but the human aspect of Jesus began 2,000 years ago. The union um, occurred 2,000 years ago. That's the hypostatic union. So when people say, technically they say Jesus is eternal, well, in one sense they're correct, in another sense they're not. They're correct in the sense that the attributes of eternality are ascribed to the single person. That's called the communicatio idiomatum. But they're not accurate in the sense that the human nature of Christ is, is, um, is not eternal. So these are the issues I try and get more precise with people so they can understand what they're talking about. Okay. Now. Can I, can I answer no? Just be polite. Okay. I just want to say you keep saying a human person. So you believe Christ is a divine person or human person? Okay. Did, I, did I say human person? You did, yes. Okay. So Jesus is one person with two distinct natures, the divine and the human. Right, but he's not an additional formula, right? He added human nature to his uh, divine personhood. Yeah, that's fine. And he has one person with two distinct natures. That's the hypostatic union. Yes, I, I, I know that. I know the doctrine. I'm saying because Christ is a divine person and he did not lose any attributes, because like I said, that would be kenosis. When he said to the Father, what do you say, the Father? We don't say Father, okay? But when you guys say Father, I try and do it so you understand. When you, when he said Father, okay, he said, my God. So that is his God because he is a divine person. So God does have a God. Okay. There's your equivocation. Okay. How is that equivocation? Okay. A God is by definition a being. So when we say that Jesus Christ is God, we're saying that he is divine by nature. We're not saying he's a God. We're saying his quality in essence is of divinity. There are different categories, different senses. Do you understand? So you wouldn't say, yeah, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. So you're saying Christ isn't a God. Christ is not a God. When we describe a God, you mean a, se a separate entity and being by himself. We're not polytheists. Okay. I'll come back to you on that then. Okay. Um, Muslim. I, I've, I've debated Muslims. I've dealt no, with no, them. No, I don't want to create straw, man. That's why I don't, I don't understand it. So I'll go back to you on that. As I was saying, 
I've debated many Muslims, and they very frequently make the same mistake you're making. Okay. So, okay. So, let's move on. Okay. So, seventeen uh, John 17, 3, when Christ says, uh, uh, the only true God is the Father. So, how can Christ be God when he said the only true God is the Father? First of all, Jesus was made Lord in the angels, Hebrews 2, 9, made under the law, Galatians 4, 4. And so he would serve under the law requirements, someone he would call God. He would call God the Father, his God, in the sense because of his lowered position, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, what we would call the, that emptying, that is not kenosis, and you're right, kenosis is a heresy. It's God minus something, with hypostatic union is God plus something. You could look at it overly simplified like that. And what we would see within Judaistic circles is, is they would often say things in an exaggerated sense. He's my God, your God, the only God. He's just giving the glory to who the Father is. When we know that this kind of a thing is taught, because you go to Jude 4, where it says Jesus is our only Lord and Master. And so Jude is a brother of Jesus, would write this. Then we have to ask, is he, as a good Jew, saying that Jesus, who's the only Lord and Master, means that God the Father is not their Lord and Master? We would say, of course not. So what we're seeing in the Judaistic ideology and the methodology of speaking is often singularly saying to the only one, the only pure, the only this, when it's not technically true, but it's often an appellation of, of glory, adoration, etc., etc., to the one. This is what Jesus is doing in John seventeen three. Yeah, but he, he said because he was under the law, which made him lower, you'd say, in rank? Or um, My wife is in subjection to me, according to the biblical revelation. I'm the head of the family, but it does not mean that I'm better than her or different than her in nature. And Jesus, who was made under the law and subject to the Father, that has no bearing on his nature and his essence. Okay, but I, I still don't understand how Christ can be a divine person and then yet say that only God the Father is the true God. Okay, did you hear what I said about that? Yeah, I know. You're saying because he was under the law and he was, he was lower than the angels. And, repeat, but, what I said. Hmm? repeat it. Repeat the answer about that. Yeah, because he was lower than the angels, right? Okay, so you didn't listen to what I said. Okay, but he, he's a divine, if he's a divine person, right? I, I don't understand how, how him saying the Father is the true God doesn't make doesn't make him less. Okay. So um, you did not listen to what I said. Were you looking something else up? Were you doing something else in the meantime? No, no, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Did you hear me mention the book of Jude? Yes, about the Jewish, the Old Testament, but I didn't really understand it. Okay. So um, as I gave you an explanation for Jude, excuse me, for John 17.3. He's saying that in reference to his position being lower in status under the law, he would have someone he would call his God. And in the proper aspect of worship, Jesus said, the only true God. And notice what he says. That's true salvation is to know him and Jesus. It's like in the Quran, Allah and Muhammad. You have to know them both. This is what Muhammad does. But he, of to say he's, he's divine, where Jesus does claim that divinity elsewhere in the same scriptures. And the reason I went to Jude 4 was to show you that in the Jewish mindset, and Jesus was certainly Jewish in that culture, Jude chapter 4, Jude 4, who's the brother of Jesus. Jude calls Jesus our only Lord and Master. If we're to take it strictly literally for what it means, then we would have to say that God the Father is not our Lord, 
and nor would he be our master. And that, of course, can't be true. Why would Jude, as an example of this kind of thought, why would Jude raise this issue up and say he's our only Lord and master when technically it's not correct? Because in the Jewish mindset, I'll say this again, what they would often do is say uh, really exalting things about someone and particularly in reference to God, and called them the only this, the only that, the only this. And there was, they were more in a worshipful stance than a doctrinal precise statement. And this is what's going on in, Jude, in John 17, 3. And we can see the Jewish mindset because Jesus, Jude says Jesus is our only Lord and Master. So if it's true what Jesus said in John 17, 3, in a strictly literal sense, is that that means only God the Father is God. Then also, it would mean that Jesus is only our Lord, only Jesus, excuse me, is our Lord and our Master. And then I would say, well, how are we going to reconcile these? And obviously, we don't do it by going that strictly literal. That's your problem. Okay, okay I'll come back to that. Okay, so another question. Um, if, uh, okay, if Christ is God, right, he's fully God, um, and he's fully man, but if he's a divine person, how can Christ know the uh, not know the hour or day, and only the Father knows? And like I said, that would be if you if he said because he's human, then that would be a divine attribute lost, which would be then kenosis. Not many people understand this cultural context. You might be able to understand it a little bit more from a Jew from a Muslim context, but the Jews and the Muslims have different uh, cultural norms. But nevertheless. When it was time for a young man to be married, uh, usually there were arranged marriages, the father of the house instructed the son to build an additional room onto their home. And so the son would start building, and Jesus says, many mansions I'm building for you. We're called the bride of Christ. And the son would have to wait until the father, this is the culture, okay, the seller to wait till the father said, go get your bride. But they had to have a, um, a wedding feast because that's what the Jews did. They had a wedding feast. You know, it was a pretty big party. So what they would do is they would arrange the party on a certain day. And because you had to get the fatted calf, you had to get the wine, people had to come in. They didn't just hop the freeway in their cars and, and be there in 20 minutes. So it was a big deal. So the extended family and the community related to that family would know what day and ba the basic hour of when the wedding would occur. And the son, in the meantime, was officially building on an additional room on the house because when the father said, go get your bride, then he would go, they would send the trumpeters out, they would, that would be a warning to the bride, uh, in a good sense warning, you know, announcing, here comes the, the groom is coming to get the bride, the trumpeters. And so it was all this ceremony. So the people would say to the son, so when's the father going to tell you to go get the bride? And he, his response was, only the father knows. The son does not know. And what that was was an idiomatic phrase dealing with the wedding feast and the wedding ceremony. Now, I was in Texas a year and a half ago talking about this with someone. And there was this guy who is Jewish to the core. He's a Christian. And he was amazed that I knew this cultural context. He says, nobody's ever heard of this. Nobody knows it. And I've known about it. I know that Andrew knows about it and others know about it. So when Jesus was speaking, no man knows the, the hour, the father alone. 
He wasn't speaking about his omniscience or limitation. He was simply referring to the Jewish culture of that phraseology, dealing with the issue of the wedding feast that's future coming to Christ. And the people then would have understood exactly what he meant. It was not a declaration that he didn't know everything. Okay. Um, again, I'll come back to you. I want to go into a bit more of a deeper question. Do you, uh, you're a Calvinist, right? And I'm sure yes. Protestantism, right? And you believe the uh, penal substitutionary atonement, right, from Calvin. Of course. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you this again. Do you uh, believe Christ is a divine person? Well, I'm suspicious about what you mean by it without clarification. I don't want you I mean, to. Like, okay. The incarnation, right? It was the Logos that was born and then added a human nature onto that Logos. And so as I was saying, I don't want you to take a definition that I'm giving and then twist it and use it against me later. No, no, I, I won't. If I'm doing that, tell me. In an attempt to try and discredit me because that's what Muslims often do. So I'm, I'm aware. That's a, generic, that's a generic fallacy and I won't do that. Uh, it's my experience. Well, your experience doesn't apply to all. It's my experience and I have the right to learn from my experience. Okay. So, Jesus is a divine person. He's a divine person. He's also a human person in the sense that the person has attributes of both humanity and divinity ascribed to him. It's called Look. the communicatio idiomatum yeah that means he, that's the confession where he died in the flesh right what i'm saying is is that i'm sure and that's that's the creed where it says god the word died in the flesh no i i, I maybe i'm misunderstanding you but the communicatio idiomatum is what i said and you said that's referring to that and then you misspoke what it is uh, let me okay, teach you. when you, when you oh, let me because you've had quite a long talk and i want to talk as well uh when you say that christ is a divine person and a human person how is that not in the story in this? oh okay thank you for clarifying that would of course if you're to take my my uh, phrase like that literally i should say it better um in the one person of christ are both the divine and human natures yeah I, yeah so if you were to say he's a divine person, that's true. If you were to say he's a human person, that's true. There's a doctrine called the communicatio idiomatum. So let me explain it because this is now relevant to the issue. So you understand the hypostatic union in the biblical, in the Christian context, one person with two distinct natures. Okay, the communicatio idiomatum is simply a Latin phrase that means the communication of the properties. And what that means is... There's human properties and there are divine properties. Human properties, Jesus says, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I need to go to sleep. The divine properties, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even the end of the earth. Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. So he, the one person claims the attributes of both divinity as well as humanity. Yeah, I, I, I understand. But he's, he, his, his incarnation, right? He added on flesh from the Fiatok, what you guys see. I think it's the Fiatok. Okay, Muhammad, Muhammad, listen. The, you're consistently doing this. You ask Matt a question. No, no, I'm not he's, listen, he, he's trying to answer. You, you, you're asking a question, and you're ask, he's trying to be very specific with you because you keep twisting what he's saying. So you, you asked for us to point it out. When you're doing it, you're doing it. Let him answer. And then address what he actually says. 
I think what you're doing is you're in such a rush to try to you know, trap him that you're not even listening to what he's saying. So practice some patience, listen to what he's saying, and then actually respond to what he says, not what you think he says. And don't be in such a rush to ask your next thing because you think you're trapping him because you're, you're actually, no offense, you're making yourself look foolish because you're not even addressing what he's saying. You're showing that you're not even listening. Okay, so try listening and and then address what he says. Okay, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, sure. You know, I've already called you on the carpet on this. He's called you on the carpet. You keep doing it. But uh, I've lost my train of thought. So nevertheless, go ahead and ask your question. I was saying because when people say human person, I see a lot of the, a lot of people say this. is That's what Nestorius uh, proposed, right? He isn't a divine person. He's a human person. You know, and, he, yeah, but yes, two separate persons in the one yeah, body. Yeah, he also said that. He also said two persons, I, I understand. And he also said his uh, natures were distinct and his wills were just, uh, he had one will. But what I'm saying is that... No, that's uh, wrong. No, Nestorius um, said one will. Well, that'd be monophysitism. Right, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he did say it was one will. Well, Nestorius could not say that consistently since there would be a... a <sighs> Do you know what diethylatism is? Uh, okay, no. it's okay if you don't. It's all right. Um, Nestorianism is a teaching that in one body, the the body of Christ is a person, uh, a divine person, and another human person. Therefore, by logical necessity, each person would have to have a will, and so there'd be two wills, two persons in the one body. That's basically a brute, brutal way of looking at Nestorianism, and that's heresy. Right. But I, I I understand, but I am pretty sure he said he was a human person, not a divine person, and I and that's what I'm thinking that you're that's what you're trying to say. Oh, you're you're okay. No, this is why I will correctly say this again. Jesus is one person with two distinct natures, a divine and a human, and the attributes of both natures are ascribed to that single person. Yeah, but does that mean the natures then make person Jesus like an additional formula or? No, it's one person with two natures. Yeah, exactly. So the, that person, that personhood uh, was pr prior incarnation, right? And in the incarnation, no. Mary placed on him flesh. No, we don't understand how it works because we just know that Jesus is one person with two natures. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not trying to defeat that. I'm trying to say that that person, even though he has a human nature and a divine nature, he is a divine person. Well, it's almost like it's approaching equivocation here, because it's like saying if, if he's a human person, then is he also a human or divine person? If he's human, is he a divine person? Is he also a human person? Yes. Well, that's two persons. No, no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying he doesn't have a human nature. I understand he has a human nature and a divine nature, the hypostatic union. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that. Prior to the incarnation, what Mary, uh, that's why she's called Theotokos, right? Mother of God, because she birthed the, the, the divine logos, the person of the divine logos, and then added him on flesh, his human nature, correct? She did not add the flesh. She didn't add the flesh. No, she wasn't active in adding it. It was God's work in, in the inception of activating the egg, and he is one who worked that together. I was reading Cyril of Alexandria, and that's what he said. Okay, whatever. Okay. Uh, anyways, anyway, I want to go back to the, my question, not much as a starting point, because I wanted to get into it more in depth. So would you agree then Christ is a divine person or not? I don't know what you mean by a divine person. This is this is what this is what Cyril of Alexandria said, that he is. I don't care about Cyril of Alexandria. I don't care about him. You don't care about the early church? I didn't. Did I say I don't care about the early church? 
Well, he's pretty important for Council of Chalcedon, right? Okay, did I say I don't care about the early church? Okay, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that would be like me not saying I like um, Ibn Hisham. Like, you're not liking Cyril of Alexandria? Okay, the, the issue is that I'm not, I don't care about Cyril, uh, Cyril in the context of you quoting him for whatever. I, I really don't care. I'm interested in what the scripture says. Oh, okay. You're a Protestant, right? Yeah, I believe okay. in the inspiration of Scripture, not of history. No, you you have the presupposition of Calvin, and that's that's no. That's I have the presupposition. I have the presupposition of the Scriptures being true, and I believe what the Scriptures say, and I can defend Calvinism very well from the Scriptures. Well, but you I, want to get I'm to not, penal substitution, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I just wanted to get into. Anyways. Okay, go I, ahead. I, I um, so. Okay, so God the Father, right? He eternally damned God the Son on the cross to replace yourself. That's Calvin's replacement theory, right? He eternally what? Damned him? That's what I heard, but I don't think it's yeah. what he said. Yeah, damned. For so your replacement. Father damned him? Yeah, God the Father damned God the Son in your replacement because you deserve it, right? No. Okay. He didn't damn him. We've never used that terminology. Okay, uh, maybe you can... Explain it then. Like on the cross, did he? Uh, was he forsaken? Yes. Okay. 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 That's okay. So even though I believe, I know uh, you guys say the Trinity is um, distinct in persons, but undivided in essence and in will. Right. So how can um, God the Father be a go against God the Son when that would mean God the Father's will is against God the Son? <laughs> Okay. I'm not laughing at you. Um, so, that's a good question, because I hear that in different ways, different times. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus says, not my will be done. He didn't want to go through the crucifixion. How is that possible? Because he had the attributes of both humanity and divinity. He didn't want to go through what he had to go through. That's what, what happened with him. Well, hold on, Matt, because he actually made, he may not, he, Muhammad may not be aware of something. Muhammad, do you know when Psalm 22 got the number? 22 added to it? Uh, no. Okay. Do you think it was before or after the time of Christ? Um, well, make well, it easy for you. So just the, going to educational guess. Yeah. I don't know. So it, maybe they were about, it was about like the 400s, 500s. So here's the thing. Do you know how a Jewish person prior to numbering the Psalms would refer to a Psalm? Yeah. Like I, I know what you guys say, uh, well, like he, he said it on the cross, right? Like, uh, Ilya, Ilya, Sabachi, right? So, so you, you're, that was a red herring. You didn't actually answer the question. Do you know? Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I actually don't know. So okay. if you could explain. So the way that if Jesus wanted to refer to Psalm 22, what a Jewish person would do is to recite the first line. The first line of Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read the rest of Psalm 22, it defines the crucifixion. It is, it's prophetic of the crucifixion. So what Christ was doing on the cross was reveal, was bringing everyone back to that passage that they would know that describes the crucifixion so that they see exactly what was being fulfilled in scripture. Right. I, I understand. So you said, you guys say it was like a prophecy, right? But what I'm saying is, is that, they can't be uh, undivided, right? Even though they're distinct persons, they're undivided in their nature and their in, in their, their essence, will. Yes. So go ahead and ask your question. So my question would be then: When God was against the Son, right? When He was when He when the Son when He forsook His Son, then He divided with the Son. But how could that be possible? 
it also breaks the Hanosis Union as well, which was made by Seal of Alexandria, but I know you don't care. Um, uh, you have a problem with understanding basic logic, and um, you equivocate. <clears throat> the essence of the Trinity cannot be divided. Uh, it's just, that's just it. So when he's forsaken, it does not mean the essence is divided. So the Father damned... Don't say the word I know damned. That, I, know, I know what it is. It's the per, per, per chenosis or something. Just use the biblical language here in this. And what it does, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 21, excuse me, Psalm 22, verse 1, pointing to himself in the prophecy of the crucifixion. He's quoting the verse to bring attention to the psalm. Yeah, because you guys believe, I obviously don't believe in the scripture, but if you believed in the scripture, I could see why, why it says that because he was, he was, you know, um, nailed and stuff like that. So he's trying to bring this prophecy. I understand what your guys are trying to say. Even I don't... Okay, but when when he forsake him, then he had to be either uh, God the Father, right? Who like who underwent that penalty, right? Um, was it like a human person? Was it like a, a human person, or did like one divine person damn another? Because if one no, person stop damn using the word another, damn. Stop using the word damn. It's a judgment for sin to eternal hell. That's not what happened with Christ. See, you look. I got to commend you seriously uh, for knowing more than the average um, Muslim in this regard. Seriously, but um, you keep filtering it through a negative mindset, which I understand why. But you you, you don't understand. He wasn't damned. And when people say he was forsaken, now I have a radio show. People can call up. What does it mean when Jesus was forsaken? And here's my answer. I don't know. See, I don't mystery, know what it right? means. <clears throat> well, yeah, I don't like just saying, I don't know, it's a mystery. But you know what? There's sometimes you just say, I don't know what it is. Because to forsake him, well, does it mean God turned his, the Father turned his back on him? Let's say that was the case. I'm not saying it is. Let's just say that. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be forsaken? Does it mean that under the condition of the punishment that Jesus um, uh, was allowed by the Father to go through this torturous event? And he called that being forsaken? Perhaps. But it had, if that was the case, it would have no bearing on the uh, nature and essence of the Trinity. It would not be disrupted at all. Yeah. Would you say maybe not downed, but maybe cut off would be a better phraseology? I don't know, and I'm being serious. I'm not. I'm not against you as a Muslim now. I'm just saying to you, I don't know, because I don't know what that means, and I don't know how that can work, and I don't know what the phraseology would mean in that context. I have no problem admitting to people, no, I don't know what that means. Muhammad, it's like people, Christians, Christians will say, "Well, God's outside of time." I say, "Well, I don't know what that means. I, I'm not going to say that." Muhammad, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Hold, hold on. Do you believe? that God is greater than your ability to understand him? Uh, yes. You do? Okay. Nothing is unlike, unlike that, yeah. Do you understand the Trinity? Um, I'm still educated myself, but I, can, I think I understand it a little bit. A little bit. So when, when Matt and I say that we cannot comprehend something about the, the intricacies of the Trinity, it's because God is greater than our ability to understand him. That's how you know the God of the Bible is the true, the true God. The God of the Quran can be understood. That's not a God beyond our ability to understand him. No, no, no. I wouldn't say he would be able to understand him. <clears throat> yeah, there's so, some subjectivity in there. Yeah. So, so you go ahead and ask your, your penal substitution question. Yeah. 
I, I just want to ask maybe if cut off because I, I, I just don't understand this in my study and maybe you can correct me, but if, if, if you guys say that Christ was cut off from the Father, right, wouldn't that be like completely impossible without being openly anti-Trinitarian, like Aryan or like Nestorianism? Because then people would be like, he was he was cut off, but like only his human nature was cut off. Or you understand what I'm saying? Or, yes, or he just became non-divine altogether, which would be Aryan, right? Right. And so you're seeing you're seeing those, under those conditions, those would be problems. But we would never say as Trinitarians that he stopped being divine. So we don't know what it means when, when there's forsaking. We know that Jesus became sin, First or Second Corinthians 5.21. We know that. But what does it mean he became sin? That's a whole other thing we talk about, the penal substitution. But what does it mean? So God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil, Hebrews 1, or Habakkuk 1.13. So when Jesus was imputed with the sin of, of his people, what happened? Did God the Father look away? Let's say he looked away, whatever that might mean, because what does that mean? You know, does it mean that the divine nature stopped being Trinitarian? Of course not. You would have to say that in this ambiguous phraseology that somehow it necessitates a disruption in the very ontos of the Trinitarian uh, being, and nothing in it requires that. So what I'm just trying to help you in that you're going down a road that doesn't necessitate your conclusion. It doesn't necessitate that because we don't understand what these phrases mean in their spiritual sense. Now, a Muslim would typically say to me, well, see, forsake him. That means he's not God. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. If I forsake my wife because uh, I'm mad at her, does that mean she's not a human being anymore? Of course not. It doesn't mean our marriage uh, you know, is dissolved because of it either. See, the problem rests in the ambiguity of what the phrase means. And that's the problem. We don't know what it means exactly. I'm not just copying out. We just don't know what it means. Exactly. Okay, I, I, I can understand that. But I don't, I've, I'm guessing you obviously do. You're more educated than me. You've, you're a Christian yourself. So have you ever heard of the doctrine called uh, per pertinosis, I think it's called? Okay. It's where um, I think it's where like the divine indwelling fully indwells um, in all the persons. Well, the divine each person is fully divine. The essence of divinity yeah. is yeah is, is within like, and that's what it is. But like all um, all the persons fully dwell within each other. I think it's in John fourteen. Yeah, well, it's called the ontological trinity and the ec economic trinity. They have different functions, but yet they all share the same divine attributes. Oh. Oh, I know ontolo uh, ontological, like that's being and an economic as role. I, I don't mean that. I mean saying like, um, uh, like the pertinosis per is where like the doctrine where like God, um, the Trinity, all the persons fully dwell within each other. Um, um, so like if so, if you get one person, you de facto by uh, you get the other two. <clears throat> yes, there are certain doctrines and th and things like that that theologians talk about and um i don't actually i think calvin teaches it actually okay and i, I don't in the institutes and i don't go down those roads because i try not to exceed what's written in scripture okay but um it's i think the scripture you could use is john 14 9 10 <clears throat> yeah but you know um i'm sure calvin simple. teaches it as well yeah, it's not so simple, you know, to have seen me, have seen the Father. Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of the Father in Hebrews 1, 3. And you're getting into areas, and I'm not complaining or whining, I'm not trying to backtrack or make excuses, but you're getting into areas where I've thought about these things for years. 
we don't have good answers in this area. Nobody does. We See, this is why. What? Sorry for cutting you off. I thought for you, actually. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. See, this is where me um, and you might think this is some enlightenment thought. And I would agree in some part that we need to rationalize everything, but I, that to me just doesn't give me satisfaction. How you say it's this, this mystery, this whole we don't know, and that. Well, now we're back to a God that's greater than our ability to understand. If you can fully understand God, then He's yeah. not God, and so. That's why I keep coming back to that. You were, your God is your ability to reason. That's your God. And if it doesn't make sense to you, you're saying, well, then it can't be true. I, I don't know if he's, but tell you what, why don't we go to the after show and continue yeah. this? Because well, I know you got to go. Okay? Yeah. So, so we'll do that. Whatever yeah, your name is. His name's Muhammad. So, uh, and John's going to get us Muhammad? the link. Let me see if he gave um, us. Yes, I can do it for a little while. Yeah. Okay. Is John in here? Okay, so it's John quite, put it's in quite, the. It's uh, actually three o'clock in the morning here. So yeah. Well, let me. Oh, well, th- there's sorry. a question. There's a question that was uh, that Jason Manning wanted to ask, and so I do want to ask this of you, Muhammad, on his behalf. Um, I'm just trying to find it. So um, his question is, and so you you would believe that Allah is greater than Muhammad, correct? Uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Who is it that Allah prays to? Um, you're using that word. It's prayer. It's not. It's um, it's blessing. Okay, it is. I know David Wood. He made that as well. It's not prayer. It's blessing. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm looking at an English version of the Quran, and it it is saying prayer. Uh, very verily, God and His angels pray for the Prophet. So so, you're saying it's not prayer. It's it's what, what's the the Arabic word there? Then? Is that the um, Sahih International? Uh, let's see. The one I'm looking at right now. Give me a sec to look it up. Because if so, that would be like the NIV for you. It's quite liberal. Uh, let's see. From Max Muller. If you can use like uh, Monsan Khan or Yusuf Ali. Is that what you Arab- prefer? Yusuf Ali? Yeah. And that's, what is that's that? 33? 30, 33? 33, 33, 33, 33, 33, 33, 56. Okay. And I mean, I do see it saying bless in others. Let's see. Allah show, uh, showers blessings in, in another translation. Yeah, see. So, do you, uh, what's the Arabic Muhammad, word like the for Kali? that? The Khan, excuse me, the Khan version? Uh, yeah, he's okay. Okay, let me read the Khan really fast. 56. Uh, Allah sends his graces, honors his salat on the prophet. Yes, yeah, And also his angels. Right. And in uh, Yusuf Ali, it says. And all it sends is blessings. Okay, that's, what it, that's how they translate it. I know you guys probably got that from David Wood. It's not prayer, it's blessing. It's salah. It's salah. Well, I, this is someone that, that was in the chat, so my question, uh, what's, what's the, the Arabic for that? Oh, it's salah. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't, we're at the end of the show. I was going to go take my uh, study Quran out. All right. Well, maybe, I've got the. Uh, maybe we'll pick it up next week. But you have, I have this Quran. I'm going to look at it right now. See what they say. Just to see. I mean, you know, uh, it says send blessings to the prophet. Seventy. Oh, sorry, I'm just going to. I'm going to give my eyesight away, my age and everything. Hold on, two glasses. Um, sorry, I'm embarrassed, but that's what it is. Three seven sixty one. All in his angels honor and bless the holy prophet as the greatest of men. <laughs> He sinned, and Jesus never sinned, and uh, yet he's the greatest of men. Um, 
It's what the commentary in this says. Okay, this is, uh, I got this from Saudi Arabia, apparently. We are asked to honor and bless him all the more because he took it upon himself to suffer the sorrows and afflictions of this life in order to guide us to Allah's mercy. Wow. <laughs> Golly. Sorry. I could rip into that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's Salah, it's it's blessing. I know David would use that um, against Muhammad Hijab, but uh, anyway, I want to get, disaster, get to your penal substitutionary question. I think uh, he has to go. That we can go to the other room. Uh, well, if you, if I mean, if John, will we, put in we the can link. go a little bit longer. I mean, we can go. You know, when John okay. John will give me a link, and but if we want to go a bit longer, um, it's all right. I can shut the room down too. You know. Yeah. No. We, so, what's your okay? See if you can get your question, Muhammad. <laughs> Okay, so, okay, so the, um, when I, uh, where, where was I, let me see, because I've got out my book, I've been writing myself, that's why, um, okay, okay, so you guys said you don't know what it means by being forsaken or cut off, okay, um, so, do you know, do you know how to spell pertrinosis? Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Maybe if you type it and then you probably know what it is. I can, I can, I know, I've got it right here in front of me so I can tell you how to spell it. Okay, go ahead. I think it's, I think it's Greek. Um, P-E-R-I-C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. I'm sure all Trinitarians would hold to this. I, I'm sure Calvin does as well. I actually have a quote from Calvin because I've been reading the Institutes myself. Okay. The co-indwelling, co-inhering, in, mutual interpenetration. All right. Yeah. That's okay. the, the essence of the ontological trinity. Yeah. So, um, so my question then would be, um, uh, let me a second. I've got to try and find my book. Let me be one minute. Because I think I wrote this part somewhere else. Uh, just give me a minute, please. Sure. And uh, while, while you're looking that up, I just uh, two two quick things. One is uh, Reformed Calvinist Matt is now saying that uh, it's embarrassing that we have to be taught, we have to be educated from a Muslim on Christianity, and the real the reason he didn't come in is because he would get an education on Christianity by people. He says <laughs> is a joke. That's why he's not here. He's a, he's just a troll. He's a troll. <laughs> And uh just want to give a, a, a shout-out and a thanks to uh, uh, Jason Manning, who went out to the, uh, the Striving Fraternity Patreon page and became a patron. Uh, so let me, while we're, he's looking that up, let me let you guys know that you can you can support both Matt and I on Patreon. You can look for Striving Fraternity and support us, and you can go to Matt's Slick Live and support Matt. Now, Matt does weekly videos, and you get to pay him for each video and we appreciate every person who does that uh if you go to striving fraternity what we're doing is we will give you for if you donate as little as two dollars a month you'll get a free copy of what do we believe and if you give five dollars a month you get what do we believe and what do they believe if you give ten dollars a month you'll get the two i mentioned plus on the origin of kinds and if you do twenty dollars a month you will get that those three mentioned and also sharing the good news with Mormons. So you can get all four of those books for just $20 a month. And, um, we ship them out after I think it's like two or three months of, of support. So, um, and Matt does weekly videos. So you get those. So those are ways that if you appreciate what we're doing, those are ways that you can support us. So Muhammad, did you get to your question? Did you figure out what you want to ask? Yes. Okay. Um, 
So, because of the peritonosis, uh, sorry, I'm, I don't agree, but I don't know if I'm using that word. Perichoresis. Okay, yeah, that um, that would mean there is no division in the sing in the single will in in the single will of the father and son, right? Uh, I don't know that we could go that far with it. It has to do with the. I don't think we go that far with it because yeah. three persons. This is a question I want to ask some Christian theologians. I've not heard this asked when I was in seminary. Didn't I want to know? There's something I want to deal with and extrapolate, and that is if there's three persons, doesn't that imply three wills? But yet God is said to be one and yet three. And how can he have three wills and one will? And how does that work? And empirical tends to, I think, address that issue and along the ontological trinity. There's some relationship, inter-trinitarian inter relationship, that just, well, just naturally beyond us. And we can only get glimpses of it through Scripture. And this is one of the problems I have with going down these kinds of roads is because, and I've said this publicly before, is that when we don't have enough information to be very, very clear, I think we ought to be careful how far we go down into a theoretical area of what it might mean, particularly dealing with the very nature, the essence of God being himself. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um, when I when 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 I said earlier about um, cutting off or um, rejecting uh, God the Father, rejecting or cutting off God the Son, I, I don't think that can make sense because Jesus is God. So it would be God cutting off God, right? I mean, right. There's problems there, but on the other hand, and I'm just gonna be fair with you, just be polite with you. You know, I want to be, but on the other hand, your question's a good question. What does it mean? And Christian yep. theologians have worried about that, or not worried, have debated it. Like, well, what does it mean? And they go, well, we're not exactly sure. You see, this is this is this this is what's. You can see why this 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 doesn't bring me comfort. Well, okay, uh, but you know, it, I mean, not to be disrespectful, but I'd say so. Um, and I'm not going to be disrespectful to you. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, if it doesn't bring you comfort. I mean, okay, so what? I mean, it's not that comfort is what we have to go by in order to determine truth. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you. I'm just saying he's going to Oh, yeah. I, I know emotion. You, when atheists say, like, uh, uh, emotion, just because you, you believe in God just because of emotion, then they would go on to say, well, emotion, you can't touch, uh, you can't touch love. Like, they would say, I love my son. And then they would say, well, I would say, well, what is love? They would just say, oh, it's emotion. Then I would say, well, is it intellectually, you know, uh, right. intellectually? Yeah, you understand? So yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. But for me, intellectually, it just it doesn't sit well for me. Um, I now, understand I, that. Actually, in the Quran, it, it says this. And it says this about your faith. But um it's confusing, and God isn't um, an author of confusion. Uh, well, 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 being an author of confusion and something being confusing are different. And so this is where I think a lot of Muslims make mistakes, and not just Muslims, but other uh, people that I've had to deal with make mistakes like that. And uh, he's not the author of confusion. He's not contradicting himself. But just because we can't understand him in his nature doesn't mean that it's confusion. It means we don't ha have the ability to understand him. Completely and totally, because we're just creatures. Okay, do you know, um, let me just maybe go on a little bit more. Do you know Cal uh, in Calvinistic um, imputional theology, uh, Jesus takes our punishment, correct? Yeah, to a degree, yeah. And our punishment is internal damnation and separation from God. Yeah. Uh -huh. So if Jesus had to be separated from God to complete the transaction, um then you would either be an Astorian or an Arian by deduction. Who said he had to be separated from God in order to do that? 
because we would be separated from God and he took our punishment. Separated from God in what sense? The, uh, well, uh, separated God. Um, well, that's a good question. How, how would you, how would you, what would you say? Okay, let me tell you before I answer. Um, I want you to understand something. I'm not trying to play a game with you. I want you to understand that. I'm not playing any games with you. This is actually how I do this, even with Christians. If, it were, if we were in a private room with Christians, I would ask the same question. Okay? So I just want you to know that. This is, uh, this is how I think and what I do with the theology. What does it mean to be out of the presence of God in a, in a sense of hell? Can it ever be out of the presence of God? In one sense, yes. In another sense, no. Because God is all places at all time, they can never be out of his presence. But in another sense, there's a Shekinah presence, where a direct presence of his essence and his being in a way that is more real, more of him, which I don't like using the phraseology, but I don't know what else to say. And in that sense, no, they would be out of his presence in that sense. So there's different senses in that. <clears throat> when Jesus bore our sin and he was forsaken and he was judged and he bore our punishment, it's a common question, then why didn't he go to hell forever? And the reason is because if I were to you know, slap you in the face, which I'm not going to do that, I'm not trying to be hostile, just an, an illustration, I slap you and you go, what was that for? I'd say, well, I didn't like you. That's not a good reason. Okay, so what's that? I thought we were the violent ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. Okay, I like um, it. A guy so has got a good sense. If I were to slap the president of the United States, oh, that's, you know, wait a minute. Now I'm in a lot of trouble. You might take a swing at me. You might step back and say, well, that was stupid or whatever. But if I do that to the president, now I'm really in trouble. But the exact same act gets a different result. When we, so to speak, slap God in the face by sinning against him, there's an infinite result and an infinite consequence because of who he is. Jesus is divine in his nature. He was able, by the fact of being divine, capable of offering an infinitely valuable sacrifice. And so, therefore, on the cross, his death was of infinite value and it was not necessary for him to suffer an infinite punishment of duration of time. We have to suffer an infinite duration of time punishment because we're not capable of satisfying the infinite requirement it takes an infinite amount of time but he does not have to do that because he is infinite in value therefore the, the death is sufficient <clears throat> okay uh so you wouldn't you, you'd think it wouldn't be best to say eternally um eternally damnation but damnation i wouldn't say damnation in re reference to Christ. Okay. Uh, and you should not. Let me warn you, if you do that in your book and you publish that, they're going to rip it to shreds. Oh, no, no. I'm just, just my book's just for me to study. I'm not actually, okay. I can't write for shreds. It's like, okay. <laughs> I can't do but it. My, dam damnation is God's judgment upon the unbelievers who have rejected Christ and they will be damned. They will be judged to eternal uh, outer darkness, lake of fire, out of that Shekinah presence of God. That's what it means. You can't apply that to Christ. Right. But, so in what way then? In what way? So what did God the Father do to God the Son on the cross? Imputed to him the sin of the world. That's what we understand. I thought, but isn't sin um, will and not being? No, sin is a legal debt. Right, but you would say that sin is... Is will it's not it's not being like that would be wouldn't that be gnosticism like to say like no the being of our of our nature like our nature is inherently evil no that's a different category uh, sin is breaking the law of God 
Sin is an action. If I were to slap you in the face, is it a sin or not? Well, it depends. If it was to save you from that super poisonous spider I saw on your cheek, then it's a good thing. If it's because I don't like you because you're a Muslim, that's the only reason. That's not a good thing. So the intention has to do with uh, whether something's morally right or wrong, and the standard has to be God's standard himself. So what we say sin is, is the intentional breaking of law, uh, basically. And there's some variations in there, but this is be sufficient for now. In that if I know it's wrong to lie, I lie, that's a sin. Even if I don't know it's a sin, because it doesn't, you know. But we, we do that, so it's intentionality. But it's a legal thing, because Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He said in Matthew six twelve, forgive us our debts. He said in Matthew in Luke eleven four, he said, Forgive us our sin. So he equates sin with legal debt. We know from first John three four that sin is breaking the law of God. So sin is a legal issue, not only legal, not only, but it's also legal. Because it's a legal offense because it's breaking the law of God. The law of God requires a punishment. Wages in his death, Romans 6.23. So sin is breaking the law of God. It's a legal problem, not only a legal problem, but it is a legal problem. Jesus equated sin with legal debt. Jesus said in John 19.30 on the cross, it is finished. That's a Greek term, tetelestai, which has been found on the bottom, handwritten into the bottom of ancient tax receipts, signifying a legal debt had been satisfied. And so Colossians 2.14, Paul calls it the, the certificate of debt, the sin debt that Jesus canceled on the cross. So having said all of that, sin is a legal issue. So sin, being legal, can be transferred. Right. So, uh, okay. Go ahead. So um, when you say this, um, and other Protestants, when they say this, and they say that Jesus suffered um, internal uh, indignation, Either as a man in his human nature, meaning internal or eternal, eternal. Okay, he did not suffer eternal indignation. Uh, he didn't. No, because he's in heaven right now, glorified, exalted to the right hand of God the Father. Right, not indignation. Because, like you said, right, he's the divine uh, person. So he, on that cross, he. uh, What you said before, right? That that would be why. But. but, uh, but what I don't understand is that uh, in his human nature, right? So meaning that his suffering was actually a separate subject or hypostasis, which would be Jesus, or that he suffered the indignation as the very son of God, the Logos, and for a time the Trinity would have split. But how could the Trinity have split when that would break the Hernosis union made by Cyril of Alexandria, even though I know you said earlier you don't really care what he does, but wouldn't that be defeating early church? You, look, I have a saying, my church father can beat up your church father. I believe in the inspiration of scripture. I go with that. Church fathers had different opinions about different things at different times. Some may have been spot on and some may not have been. I just don't put any credence in what they say as any authoritative uh, doctrinal dissertation. I go with what scripture says. Best I can. I try and go with scripture then. So in John 17, 1, 3, where the, the Trinity itself, um, like um, the Trinity is no longer is in uh, divine communion. Sorry. So in John seventeen one three, the the Trinity, uh, the Godhead, is in divine communion. But if if that was the case, that um, on the cross that uh, he cut off, then that would cut the divine communion, which would then well, the Trinity. That no, you could no. 
I mean, I understand what you're saying, and there's a sense in which I could see that's a possibility that communion and the fellowship was was um, damaged. Um, just as right. oh, I, my wife and I can have a an argument, and our communion is damaged, but our marriage is still the, still there, and our natures are still there. So we can, by analogy, say the breaking of communion or fellowship does not necessitate that the Trinity is broken. Right. But I I don't understand how one being, like I said, they're undivided, right? In one in will. So how would how would the Father will something contrary to the Son, like damning him? He did not damn him. Okay. <sighs> Like I don't know what you guys say. Whatever he did on the cross, that, why don't, why would he do that when um, that would be contrary to? to well, I can tell you why he did this on the cross. Yeah, but that would be contrary to the divine communion, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. Look, if I were to slap you in the face and then I, I apologize, I said, please forgive me. Hopefully, you'd say, okay, forgive you, right? Let's say you have a brother. I don't know if you have a brother or not, and he's standing there, and I slap you in the face, and I turn to your brother and I say. Would you please forgive me for what I did to him? You might look at me like, you got to ask him, not me. The one you, offended, the one offended is the one who forgives. Okay, but doesn't this, do you, you accept the early councils even though you don't, right, or not? I'm sure Calvinism, they accept everything except for icons, right, in the early councils. I'm a Calvinist because I read scripture. Okay, but I know that in dogmatically, Calvinists, do take all the councils except for the one uh, Constantinople or first council Constantinople was one of them where they said icons was fine after the Byzantine Empire tried to smash them all and then say uh, then John of Damascus um, wrote his treatises etc and then they allowed it but what I'm trying to get to was that so you would accept Phaedrus um, um, uh, and Nicaea the second council of Nicaea where Molophia uh, letters um, I can't say that word probably, which is monothelitism. Um, yeah, where they basically say um, they're basing will on being hypostatic and hypostatic. Sorry. So monothelitism is false. Right, but that would be um, monothelitism um, is based on will being hypostatic. Would you agree? No, monothelitism deals with the idea that that the one person has one will, but that's not logically possible because if Jesus is the Word, by definition, the Word has a will, and the human nature has a will by definition. Therefore, the orthodox doctrine is dithelitism, not monothelitism. Dithelitism necessitates that each of the the natures has its own will, and then it's expressed in the single will of the Son to the Word. And this is something we just can't comprehend but that's what the that's what the scriptures teach that's what the, the logic requires right right I, I understand that but i'm saying they also believe that um will is based on being hypostatic so um when 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 you say that the um uh, the result of the father is willing something contrary to the son um quote unquote damning him um i know you don't believe that don't, I know. You, you, I keep using the, don't, you should stop saying that. I know. It's, I said, quote, it's just quote. simply wrong. Okay, but I don't know what you guys say though. Like I say, we, in quote unquote. We just just say he forsake forsook him. Quote the scripture. Okay. Okay. I, I'll for, okay. So when the uh, the father will something contrary to the son, like f forsaking him, right? That would be um, that would be actually condemned in uh, from like Ephesians to Nicaea the second council because that would be monotheism. No. No, you, that's not monothelitism. Um, I think you're. I wish Christians studied like you did. This would be great. <laughs> Seriously, 
um, I know Christians who do, but not that deep. You're trying to do it for a different reason altogether. You want to understand Christian theology to find problems with it. <laughs> and, and you won't be able to. All I think you're yeah, going to I mean, be able to do. I mean, you already admitted today it's most of it's a mystery and you don't know. So. No, having a mystery is not a problem. Having a mystery simply means that God is God and we are not. There are certain things about God that are incomprehensible. And and we Matt, just can't understand. And I'm going to. So, I want to point out again, Matt. Every time he says that, he's proving that his God is not God. We've well, already established. I, I, I got you, I, but I, I, you know the, the thing is that uh, Muhammad. Look, there are going to be things about God we just can't understand. You you acknowledge that, right? Right, but I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Do you understand everything about Allah? Um, I don't know his essence unless he's revealed to me in the quran what he has revealed right so and i say the same thing about uh, uh yahweh in the scriptures and yeah, would you, you say, <clears throat> would yeah, you say you would say you would say when you, what you get in the scriptures is that you say well we don't know even though it's been revealed we don't know in the quran i wouldn't in my in, in our faith we wouldn't say that whatever he revealed in the quran we know and he revealed the but trinity and that's what we talked you about can't, you can't understand everything that Allah says about Himself. You can't unless He revealed it to to us, which He has in the Quran. <clears throat> no, okay, we're getting into off the side topic. You have to understand that the nature of God's omnipresence, for example, can you comprehend how that works? Um, being as I believe in divine simplicity, yes. So you can understand how God can be in all places at all time. You comprehend that essence. Well, I can't comprehend it, but I can understand it. Okay, there's a difference between comprehension uh, and grasping it and understanding a concept. I can understand the concept E equals MC squared. I understand energy equals uh, mass times the speed of light squared. I understand that's what it's saying. I don't understand the formula, how it got to that. And that's okay. It's beyond me. Well, there are certain things about God's nature that are beyond us. We have to understand, how does God, well, look at this, the Quran is both divine and physical at the same time, right? Um, I wouldn't say the book is divine. I would say what's in the book is divine. Well, how do, can I, I'll, I'm going to do this with you. Watch. So how is the book divine? The, the meaning in the book is divine, not the actual book. Are you saying meaning is actually embedded in pages? Yes. Okay, meaning is an abstraction. Right. So you're saying abstractions are now embedded in physical form. Right. They're captured by physical form. So are these abstractions universal? Well, they would have to be, yeah. Okay. So if I were to destroy one Quran, am I destroying the universal essence of those abstractions? No. So I'm only I'm only destroying a particular instance of one, right? Yeah. But then, if I'm only destroying an instance of that abstraction, I'm not affecting the abstraction, am I? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So what you're saying then is that the Quran then embeds an abstraction. Mm. Yeah. But but you have to understand that the abstraction is meaning. So now, supposedly, from the, your perspective, you have Allah, excuse me, Allah, who is embedding in Arabic on a page a certain concept. It doesn't matter what it is, just something, all right? You then go read it. Wait a minute. If it's an abstraction embedded in the concept, you don't need Allah for that. 
because it's inherent inside the page and all you have to do is perceive it. But that doesn't make sense because it's not simply an abstraction embedded in a page. Meaning comes by the intentionality that is then conveyed. So if you and I are having lunch together and we're just talking and I, I give you an idea about a, a concept about thinking about writing in a book. I convey the meaning to you, and you perceive and understand that meaning. It's not written. It's just verbal. So the abstraction now is conveyed verbally, but it's from one mind to another. You don't need the Quran for that abstraction, do you? No. But God, your God has chosen to use this means as a, mean, as a way of conveying an abstraction. Mm -hmm. so, but the abstraction is by nature divine, isn't it? Yeah. So the Quran now it partakes of divine essence doesn't it well it would be it would be allah's word yes so it has divine essence in physical form right jesus is divine essence in physical form what's the problem because being a human like can god really like pee and like can he really like go to sleep can he get weak can he get tired i know that's like a dosisist kind of way of thinking and but it's 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 true because very good, but they'll be docetic. But uh, that, but it's true though. Like they have a point. Then how how can God like be infinitely powerful yet inf and then in infinitely not? Like it's like a contradiction, right? Like how can he be so? That would be a contradiction, right? But Christ isn't all powerful, right? Because he says, "I can only do what I, what what the Father teaches me." Right, John five nineteen, and he could only do he could do nothing of his own initiative. John five thirty. And yet, he, has, he says, don't you know I have the authority to call down from heaven, blah, blah, blah. And the Bible says he's God in flesh. It says it. We can go over those verses sometime if you want, but it says that. No, I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not a Muslim to say that the, the text doesn't say Christ is God. It very clearly says when Thomas says, my Lord, my God, I, I don't dispute that. But I don't believe in the book. I believe it's been corrupted like many passages have been throughout history. So but the abstractions of God have been corrupted? In, in, your, in your book, yes. Okay, even though the Quran says that the word of God you know, cannot be corrupted? That's referring to the Quran, yeah. Oh, but are you sure it's referring to only to the Quran? Well, yes, I'm sure to my extent. Okay, well, man, I wish you were a Christian. We could have some great conversations. Dang it. Um, I'm only 19. I might one day, huh? <laughs> If God, in his great grace, releases you from the deception of Allah. No. no. Yeah. Let, let me, because uh, you have to understand something. In Genesis chapter 3, don't worry. Um, uh, I'll close the room down, okay? Um, uh, Andrew, I'll close it down. Um, you see, can I show you? I, 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 this is, I, okay. Can I show you something? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, this is way off. Off topic, but I want to show you something. See what you do with it, all right? Um, you believe in mathematics? Yeah, I believe the universal, they're from God himself, yeah. Okay, very good. And uh, you ever heard of the universal probability bound by any chance? Probably not. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, maybe if you explain it, I might, but I don't know the way you phrased it. It's, it's just a mathematical limit, and what it means is this is just very generic. If the universe is 18 billion years old, and if every single particle in the entire universe was changing its state at the maximum rate for 18 billion years, then the number of possible events 
is 10 to the 138th power. It, it just means it's if every if the universe is 10 billion, 18 billion years old, if it was that, I don't believe that, mm -hmm. but if it was, and you have- I believe in old Earth, yeah. Okay, and it had 10 to the 80th particles in the universe. That's just, uh, that's a huge number. It's incredible. And 10 to the 80th particles. And each particle can change its state at the maximum rate of physics that it allows it. It's 10 to the 40th times per second. Now you just take them all, you multiply them together, and you get the maximum number of, of particle changes in the entire universe for 18 billion years. If every particle was doing that all the time for 18 billion years, it would be 10 to the 138th. It's just called the universal probability bound. That's all. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's huge. All right. Okay. Now, um, some mathematicians have done some studies on the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. Born in Bethlehem, a messenger sent ahead of him. Uh, he'll enter Jerusalem, be betrayed by a friend, betrayed 30 pieces of silver, etc. And those for eight prophecies, it comes out to 10 to the 28th power. And when they do 48 prophecies, it comes at 10 to the 157th power. Now, this is something you can research later, but it exceeds the universal probability bound. Now, whatever. But here's the thing. There's other prophecies in the Bible that are spoken of. The destruction of Tyre. Uh, Samaria will be a heap as a field. Gaza and Ashkelon are desolation foretold. That can go on and on and on. And uh, just in 11 of them, the odds have been calculated at 10 to the 59th power. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And so when you add all these things up, just from this brief stuff, and I'm going, I know, I'm going very, very fast. I know that. I don't expect you to get this. But that's 10 to the 216th power of all these. It's just, it's just ridiculous. But nevertheless, in Greek and in Hebrew, there are no sets of numbers and letters. There's only one set for both. I don't, and in Arabic, I'm assuming we have the Arabic numerals, which we use, and you have Arabic letters, right? There's two yeah. sets, right? Yeah. I'm not um, Arabic fluent, I'm uh, actually British convert, but yes, that is true. Okay. Thank you. So you, I can tell you're intelligent. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, just, you know, set you up for a fall, but I can tell. All right. Is now, that my accent, huh? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, the British people always have more intelligent than Americans. Uh, you know, we're, we're colonists. That's all we are. All right. So in Matthew's genealogy um, of Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, written in Greek, each Greek letter is also a number. Each Greek letter is also a number. So when you write a word, you're also getting uh, writing a series of not a big deal. So the funny thing is, for example, in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, the number of nouns is 56, which is 8 times 7. The Greek word the occurs 56 times, which is 8 times 7. Now, I, I don't have to explain it, but in Greek, nouns decline. They change their form, like boy, boys. The word the does this. And um, it seven different forms. Everything here is divisible by seven. The number of Greek words that occur before the deportation of verse 11 is 49. Of those 49 words, the number of words that begin with a vowel is 28. Um, of those 49 words, the number of words that begin with a consonant is 21. Of those 49 words, the number of letters is 266. Of those letters, the number of vowels is 140. Of those 266 letters, the number of consonants is 126. All these are all divisible by exactly by seven. The number of words that occur more than once 
is 35. Number of words that occur once is 14. Number of nouns is 42. Number of words that are not nouns, seven. The number of nouns that begin proper name is 35. Number of male names, 28. Number of uh, times a male names occur, 56. That's just in there. And I actually tried to do something like this in English. And I'm not stupid. I got a high IQ. I gave up after five minutes. I, I, just, I couldn't do it. I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but that's just one thing. And then we get into the account of his birth, the number of, and go much quicker, number of words, number of letters of those uh, words. There are 105 forms. Of those forms, the number of verbs is divisible by seven. The gematria, which I get into another time, is divisible by seven. It goes on and on and on and on. These are not possible to be done by mere human minds, these relationships, these things. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, I look into that. In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Verse 25, so you are to know that from the decision that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's uh, March 14th, 445 B.C. They know the exact day when that decree occurred. And not just me saying it, not just two Christian guys saying it. History says, archaeology says, they go, yeah, they know. So from that decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, comes in, to be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And I could get into the details, but what the week is referring to is years. Six weeks and 70 you know, weeks, talks like this, it's code. So seven weeks and 62 weeks. Why would I say seven and 62? It's, it's interesting. That's 69 weeks. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. The six, 72 weeks, or the 69 weeks, excuse me, is of years. And you convert them into years. You convert them into days. I can show you how to do that. And you come up with 173,880 days from the decree of March 14th, 445 B.C. You go into the future and the history. Uh, the Messiah came in, Jesus, exactly on that day into Jerusalem. Exactly. The mm. Quran, the Quran has nothing like this, nothing. But it does have some, but it, I, I don't like to use them. I, I, do you ever heard of a guy called Zakia Naik? I don't know. I've heard so many things. I don't know. He, he's the one. He, like he, he makes his, like that kind of argument before the Quran and like science and the Quran. I don't like any of them kind of arguments myself. Yeah, we could. You know, I, I've seen some of them, and um, I found them to be very faulty and to read into the text. You know, um, but you, you don't understand, no offense meant, the sophistication that's in, that exists in the Old and New Testament. Right. But, but there's, there's been so many add-ons and stuff that I thought I find it hard to, to believe. You can believe whatever you want or not. In fact... Like, like the three powers in heaven, that's, that's an add-on, right? The three what? That you bear three witnesses in heaven. That's, oh. The Kama Jehanium, 1 John 5, 7, that's not found in any manuscripts older than the 1500s. The King James added it in. They blew that. <clears throat> the ending of Mark, Mark uh, 16, 9 through 20. I could go into why that's a problem. And then the only other issue of any concern is the woman caught in adultery. And, when and we have see, I, I've actually researched the, uh, the arguments for that. And I actually, there's a guy who I watched on YouTube called Jonathan Sheffield or something. And he was explaining about the um, adulterous women. And I actually agree with him that 
I, I could see it being there given the evidence, but I, I can't see the free bear witnesses being right. there. And I, I can't see, um, there's something about the begotten as well. It doesn't say begotten in John 3.16. It says something else. Monogenes uh, in John 3.16. I'm with you on the other two things that you said. I agree. Uh, you're fine. But Monogenes, uh, I don't know what he brought up. Did he bring up the idea of a diphthong? Did that, that um, ring a bell? I think so, yeah. Because mono and ganao is only and begotten. begotten and mano, mano ends with an O, and ganao is a G, but when you make it in past tense in Greek, you put an E on the front of it. So it would be mono egenata. So that the O and the E form a diphthong, and there's rules in Greek. When you have words come and they form a diphthong, they change to another letter sometimes. Sometimes they change to just one of them, but at any rate. And so it just so happens, coincidentally, that the word for unique in Greek is monogenes, and the word for only begotten that combines is also monogenes. Interesting. Yeah. Do you uh, – just another question because I've got – it's actually nearly 4 o'clock in the morning here, but uh, – just a quick question. Uh, do you believe, um, again, I'm not trying to trap you, but I'm just trying right. to understand what you believe. It's, uh, do you believe uh, that human nature, like Luther and Calvin said, like human nature is, uh, has like became inherently evil? Well, I, I wouldn't say, in, I don't know if they, what sense they meant inherently evil. What I would affirm is called the doctrine total depravity in that sin affected all of it, what we are, heart, mind, soul, body, and that there's an effect of that upon us at least twofold. One is we will never receive and trust in God the truth on our own unless God intervenes and, yeah. and, that, and that we're not as bad as we can be, but that's what yeah. depravity means. I, I have got Calvin's Institute, and I know he goes on Romans nine and stuff. But what what I'm and uh, Ephesians two or something. But uh, what I mean by that is that when you said heart, body, uh, and all these things, does not sound like very Manichaean, like very Gnostic. No, it's just that's just the doctrine that sin has touched all of what we are. But isn't that like what they proposed? Uh, I don't know uh, to what extent that they may have or may not. But in the biblical sense, we know that we are by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3, did their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful cannot be trusted, Jeremiah 17, 9, and that no man does good or seeks for God, Jer uh, Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12, uh, that they are slaves of sin, Romans 6, to, uh, Romans 6 14 through 2.20, and 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man cannot receive or understand spiritual things. So we draw the doctrine of total depravity out of verses like that, which, which the effect of sin upon us is the incapacitation of believing the truth unless God reveals it to him supernaturally. But, you know, so you would say, uh, but that means we're giving, that means in, in, your, uh, in your framework you're giving like evil a uh, substantial reality, uh, and then it's identified with God's creation. So, um, and then you may insist, well, it's just the, it's just the nature that is evil, but um, fallen. For, you'd say fallen. I, I would agree that would be a better word to use. But when, um, okay, I, I think that's a better word to use. But I, I know most Calvinists and Protestants, and they would say it's inherently evil, and they would quote Calvin and then Luther. Yeah, and then in that sense, yeah, we are inherently evil in that we rebel against God naturally. Any rebellion against God is ultimately, by definition, evil. But when I talk about evil, sometimes what I talk about is the very nature and essence of evil itself in the form of Satan in that demonic realm, which is that form of evil. But we don't possess that. But yet we have a fallenness that is a, has a propensity towards evil.
<coughs> right. So does does that mean does evil then consist or subsist in Christ? Or does he hold evil in being? And is the fact evil has that's even if the fact that even even evil has a being? I'm not sure I understood what you're saying, but Satan is by nature evil and all that. And so you'd say God, God created evil? God created evil. It says in Isaiah 45, 7, he created, uh, in the King James, he created evil. But the word evil is juxtaposed with peace. And the Hebrew word is ra'ah, peace. And so he creates light and darkness, so opposites. Peace and, and then the word ra'ah is used, which some say evil, but it means natural calamity, which is why the NESB says calamity. So we would not say that God created ontological evil. That's what I say. I use that phrase. God did not create ontological evil, but he allowed it to occur in the fall of Satan, who right. then became evil. But would you say like Christ is the antithesis of evil? Like he wouldn't create it and give it being. Like, um, like <clears throat> in Manichaeanism, it's like it's total Manichaeism to to attribute evil to an ever existing subsistence and antithetical to God. Right. It cannot, it cannot be ever existence in the sense of its um, regression. Only God is eternally existent in the past, but evil had a point of beginning and will continue on, and Satan uh, will continue to exist in his damnation and judgment out of the presence of God. And so in that sense, evil will continue to exist, but it will be restricted, contained, and and ineffective right but i i understand what you're what you're saying there but that means you're saying it began at a point in time right evil did yes right but rather than like being an eternal principle as what the manichaean stated well a principle if you define it as an understanding of a concept in the mind of god then it's eternal in that principle state in that it's a concept or an abstraction god was always aware of it but the actuality of its existence had a beginning right but because you but that means that means you've allowed an opposite principle to god to attain an attribute of god like namely eternal existence well, it depends what you say, an attribute of God. I have an attribute of God. He can think, I can think. And we have in Christian theology what's called communicable and incommunicable attributes. So the communicable attributes of God are he can think, I can think. He can love, he, I can love. But incommunicable means he's everywhere all the time. I'm not. So there's certain things that um, can be communicated to me. And in the sense of Satan coming into existence and then manifesting a concept God was already aware of, which is rebellion against his nature, then it was given, uh, we don't know how that works though, uh, he became fallen by his nature and essence, and so evil came into existence in that ontological sense, not in merely an abstract sense. Right. Um, like I said earlier though, um, um, about the divine person being cut off, um, the, the divine uh, person of the son being cut by the father, that means you would have two principles since the son must become evil. No, he did not become evil, but he became sin. And sin and right. evil were different. And sin was breaking the law of God, and our sin was imputed to him. He bore our sin in his body on the cross, First Peter 2.24. And the only way I can even conceptually understand how that works is if sin is a legal debt that's transferred. Right, but sin, would you not say sin is evil? Uh, I would I would say sin has a characteristic of evil within it, uh, in a, in one sense, but not in another. 
because there's different ways we can understand what evil is, an ontological thing. So if I, as a Christian, lie to you, which I, I just, even saying it is just repulsive to me. I can't do that. I cannot lie to you. Um, even, you know, if I was, you know, Takia, you know, but I can't do it. And, that's and, such a, that's, that's, that's a bit of a straw man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can go through it if I wish, but yeah. Actually, Takia is actually a Shia doctrine as well. It's not sunny. Right. But we can go to Surah 354 and discuss it another time. But at any rate, so sin is, is a form of evil in that it's rebellion against God. Right, Rick, yeah. God. So God, uh, so Christ became rebelled from God the Father, right? No, no, we would say that Christ bore our sin in a legal sense. It's called imputation. To impute means to reckon to another account. So we receive a righteousness that's not our own. Are, are you familiar with, that's Philippians 3.9, are you familiar with what justification is? Yeah, you believe you're in a court case and then you're standing before um, like a judge and then you're justified because someone walks in front of you. Not really. That's more of a propitiation or kind of an expiation, but a transfer kind of. Justification is a legal act of declaration of the righteousness of God reckoned to the account of the believer. Okay, but let's that's, that's rewind a bit um, and then I can counter that. I just, it's just like, I want to attack like one by one by one because uh, I'll lose it. Uh, when you said uh, Christ became sin, right? Um, did the divine person become sin? So did God become sin? What we would say is that Jesus became sin because the Bible uses the phraseology. Now, what is exactly does that mean? That it became sinful in nature? Well, we can't say that because he, that's not possible, because that would violate the doctrine of the Trinity, the very nature of the holiness of God. When we understand from other places of Scripture that sin is a legal debt, and Paul the Apostle clearly says that, Jesus certainly implies that and teaches that directly, then we can understand that when he became sin, that we say that his sin, our sin account was transferred to him. That's what we would understand it to mean. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I do disagree, though. Well, that's what the scriptures teach. Well, yeah, I'm not a Christian, so but I, I mean, logically, for me, as an outsider, that that doesn't make sense because you're saying. Think about this. Um, think about this. Let me let me set you up with a trick. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So there's a judge. There's a jury. There's people. There's a guilty man. This man has done innumerable evil acts, murder, rape, theft, just no one doubts his guilt. It's on film. He admits it. All the witnesses point to him, and he is absolutely guilty, all right? And now he's been found guilty, and the judge is going to sentence him, and the judge says, eh, forget about it. You're free. Go ahead. He just lets him go. Got a question for you. Is that judge a righteous judge or an unrighteous judge? I would say God is a man, so he's infinitely more better than him. Is that judge an unrighteous judge or a righteous judge? I'd say God is more merciful than, than we are. Good. I'd say, is that judge righteous or is that judge unrighteous? To to do what, sorry? Could you uh, maybe... Is that, is that judge righteous or unrighteous when he ignores the law and just dismisses it? And that's such a guy free. Is that righteous or unrighteous to ignore 
the law? Well, this would be like a this this would be like a presupposition that you have, right? Is it righteous or unrighteous for that judge to ignore the law and let a guilty man just walk? In 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 human in humanity, uh, no, it wouldn't be just. Okay. In Islam, Allah is that judge. He just lets people go. Okay, he's free. Let go. Inshallah. Okay. Now, before you respond, let me carry something over. In Christianity, God is the one who's offended. When we sin, we break his law. And the law must be satisfied, because if God does not satisfy the requirements of the law, then he's approving of evil. Because a law is not a law unless that's a punishment. Okay, that's what a law is. You speed, you get a ticket. All right. You murder somebody, you go to jail. All right. Laws have punishments because that's what they are. If God were to ignore the punishment, he's ignoring the law. He's and then by ignoring the law, he's approving of evil. He's saying, ah, it's okay, do it, go, go, do what you want. There's no consequence. Go ahead. That's approving of evil. That's unrighteous. In Christianity, God is the one who is the author of the law, who's offended by the lawbreaker. You and me. In Christianity, he is the one who becomes under the law and then bears the law breaking of the lawbreakers. And then the law requires death and he meets the requirement. So then he can forgive righteously because the law is, re is required to be true and met. Otherwise, God's approving of evil. And so what he does is he satisfies the requirement of the law himself. The legal debt, that's what law breaking is, is transferred to him. He makes a requirement, the wages in his death, he dies, satisfying the requirements of the law, and he's able then to forgive somebody. That's Christianity compared to Islam. Right, but... Uh, Tell me why your, judge is, your, your God is not unrighteous then. Because we don't have your presupposition that he has to be this judge. So he's okay for your your God to ignore his own law? No, because he doesn't his he does he, he doesn't have this law that you guys have. So the law is a reflection of the nature of God, right? Can well, Allah lie? No. Okay. So then it would be wrong to lie because Allah cannot lie, right? Yeah. Okay. So he says, "Don't lie." So if you lie, you've sinned against Allah, right? I wouldn't say I've sinned against Allah. I say, Sin is breaking I, the law of God, right? That's what it is, to break his law. And you've sinned against him. So does your God just ignore that? That's a good question. I'll, I'll come back to you an, another time. Um, okay. I, I want to go back. I can, because it demonstrates the insufficient. That is one of the issues I can raise against Islam. Just one of them. The reason I did because we're talking about the nature of the law. And now you can understand. Christianity is better. Because God satisfies his requirement of his own law at the benefit of others. And he doesn't ignore his own law, where in Islam, in order to be forgiven, God, your God has to ignore his own law. But that's inconsistent. That means he's approving of evil. Right, but this, this, you know, this whole law thing, this came from, I know you're going to say, nope, I got it from the scripture. This, this came from Calvin, right? No. This, like, First John three four sin is breaking the law of God. Jesus said, okay, you, can, you, can, "You can give me scriptures. I understand uh, that's why I said you're just." But, but, but what I'm Muhammad, saying is, you Muhammad. can't show me historically that the that, that people he, believe but Muhammad. This, he right? doesn't have to. You know I don't why? Have to. He, you already have you to. already proved it when he asked you whether the judge would be unjust. That's why he asked you that. You said if a judge let someone go, he'd be unjust. 
All he did was change. Yeah, he just changed the situation and put a lot in that place. By you, by you saying that a judge that lets someone off is unjust, that's a law. That's what he's saying to you. So he, you already yeah, accepted yeah. that. Well, I, I didn't accept. I mean, I wouldn't say accept. Okay. I'll, I'll come back to him on, on the issue. Is, is a judge is is the judge unrighteous for letting people off when they commit a crime? But you're you're giving like human what we do as humans to to the uh, to the transcendent and I, I don't i think that's fallacious it's fallacious yeah why because you don't understand it i mean you're, well, you're not going to appeal I, to mystery I, now I, I are don't you really understand it but i, I don't think uh, doing stuff that we do because we do lots of bad stuff we wouldn't then attribute it to the transcendent yeah but as matt said we get those things from god we, that's where that we get those attributes. The thing is, is you said it would be unjust. So unless God, unless you're saying that God has a different standard than He has for us, because if that's the case, then you got yourself a different issue, right? I mean, is, 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 does God have a set of rules for Him different than us? Well, He, I mean, it's whatever He willed. I mean. So justice for him is different than the justice that he defines for us. Well, again, it's a good question. I'll admit it. I, okay. I would have to come back to it. Let me. Let me. And I, I know Matt may have more. And I know you said it was late for you. I want to ask you one thing, if I could. Can you uh, and I agree? And I know you're going to say this. This isn't the case, but I want to just hypothetically, if the Quran contains an error, can we agree that it cannot be written by God? Uh, yeah. Okay. What, what I want to do is I want to get you to read out of your Quran, so you, in, in whatever English translation you want, so that you know we don't get into a thing of which translations. But if you could read Surah five one sixteen for me in English, yeah. So it's Surah five one sixteen. So Surah five ayat ayat sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, what so, are you so, trying to? So read, read um, that. Read, read so, that in English. Whether you you translate it or if you have an, an English translation that you accept. Okay. I'll just um, let me just go to, to Yusuf Ali. Uh, Yusuf Ali five five sixteen right. Yep. Five one sixteen. Ah, oh, okay, okay, that's what I was thinking. Yes, we well, just, just read. No, read it out loud for for folks to hear, so I can hear the translation oh. that you have. Okay, um, Yusuf Ali, um, and behold, Allah will say, O Jesus, the son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, worship me and my mother as gods in degradation of Allah? He will say, glory to thee. Never could I say what I had no right to say. Had I said such a thing, thou wouldst indeed have known it. Thou knowest what is in my heart, thou, I know not what is in thine, for thou knowest in full all that is hidden. Okay. Now, you understand clearly, as we've been discussing tonight, you understand some of the doctrines of the Trinity. Is Mary 
ever considered part of the Trinity in Christianity? Well, um, I, I would say if you go to Luke, it says Hail Mary, right? Nope. That's not calling her part of the Trinity. There's there's nowhere in Scripture that right, says you, Mary's God. And, and right, but you, you only hail to God. No, you don't. No, no, no. I can Hail Mary. I can hail a cab. Uh, you know, hi. Uh, she's praised and stuff like that. It's yeah. not a work, form of worship. Yeah, you, you only praised God. No. That's what, that's what we say. Yeah, but Surah 5116. See, uh, see the, the, there's a difference in, in this one because, yeah, this, this is right. very clearly saying that Christians believe Mary is God, that we claim Mary's God. So I'm asking you. Is that what Christians claim, that Mary is part of the Trinity, that Mary's God? I wouldn't say you guys would say it's the Trinity, but um, I'd say from, from an outsider, we would say that you guys would worship Mary. No. No, we don't. And and, and the reason I'm well, pointing this out to you, Muhammad, Catholics is, do. Yeah, well, well, Catholics, they, they, they venerate her and they, they lift her up, and that's even, that is a more recent thing. But here's the thing, okay, and this is the reason I point this out. The author of the Quran did not know Christianity. And this is a good example of it, because he has a wrong definition of what Christians believe about the Trinity. And I'm bringing this up because we, we agreed that if there's a contradiction, this could not have been written by God. I know you want to hold to... Hold on, man. You, you want to hold to the Quran. But the, the thing is... Well, hold on. The thing is this, Muhammad. Your eternal life depends on this, okay? And so this is a big deal. If the Quran says that Christians believe Mary is God, now I I fully admit that you can find a way to a, a life saving device to to find a way to argue for this, but if you if you don't want to be intellectually dishonest, if this is saying that Christians that we're saying that Mary's God, when that's not what Christianity teaches, that's not what the Bible teaches. It maybe. Because what most Muslim, many Muslims will do is find a heretical group that was out in that area of where Muhammad was, which then says that Muhammad was influenced by people that were heretics, not by Christianity. And if the author of the Quran is Allah, is God, he should know the difference. He would be able to know the difference between a small fringe group of heretics versus Christianity. But Muhammad would not. And, and that's not for you to consider, because if this is an error, if this is a contradiction, and it is, then the Quran could not have been written by God. So, so Matt gave you one thing to consider, and that would be that in, in you know, Islam, you cannot have a God who is both just and merciful, because they're mutually exclusive. Only in Christianity do you have that. Here you have another thing where the Quran shows a contradiction, okay? Some things for you to think about, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you're going to come back you know, with stuff more. I mean, we're, we're here every Thursday night. But I want you to really think about these things because as Matt tried to explain to you, the difference between Islam and Christianity, it's the difference between seeing salvation by grace or salvation by works. Okay? There's, there's three... Th- Go ahead. I know you guys uh, would say that, but isn't like... Um isn't like having faith work within itself? No, no. It takes it takes work to have faith. No, like no. your work. No. Philippians one twenty nine. No, Philippians one twenty nine says that our belief is granted to us by God. He gives us that. 
So okay. it, it's a work of God. Uh-huh. And, and, and this is the thing. So what you end up seeing is that you, Matt brought up the, the, the fact of one thing that makes Christianity unique from every other world religion is the fact that only in Christianity can you have a God who's both just and merciful, okay? Because they're mutually exclusive. And so if a God just lets criminals go, then he's not merciful. If he punishes everyone, then no one. Go, then he's, you know, he's just, but he's not merciful. If he gives them a lesser sentence, then he's neither. Only in Christianity, as Matt explained, can you have justice and mercy. Only in Christianity can you have a real substitute, because Jesus, being a man, having never violated the law, he can be a sacrifice for other people. Being God. He can have that sacrifice has an eternal, pays the eternal debt because he is eternal. Now, here's the third thing that sets Christianity unique from every world religion it is the only religion by grace, by God doing all the work, not man. Every man made religion has human effort added to getting right with God, whether it's faith plus works, whether it's saying a prayer and then doing works, but there's always an element of human effort. And it's what the Bible teaches, what Christianity teaches, is that it is always a work of God alone. And it's the only religion in the world that teaches that. Why? Because every man-made religion adds human effort. I mean, you can figure that out when you read your history, right? You look at the kings, even if they, they... lose the war, they're going to talk about the battles they won, because they always want to praise their own efforts. And that's what you have there. So, from looking at what we shared with you, what Matt has shared with you, what I just shared with you, what, we, what we're trying to show you is that Islam is just another man-made religion with a book that's full of errors, and here you have something that's true. And one of the things to consider is when the Quran says that you can trust the book, speaking of the Bible... We have that book that you, if you want to try to appeal to, oh, well, there's, there's textual variances and things like that. Well, we have copies of the New Testament that are much older than Muhammad. We have copies that go back in the first three centuries. We have hundreds of, of manuscripts. And so, when we look at that, we have copies of the Bible that go far back, way further than Muhammad. So, the, the Bible Muhammad would be referring to, we have. And there's not a single doctrine, not a single one, even Bart Ehrman admits this, that not a single doctrine of Christianity is affected by any of the, manu- by any of the manuscript uh, variances. So, we can't say that the Bible was corrupt so that we can throw it out. You can't do that, okay? And, and so, these are some things, realistically, what we want is we want you to consider, because your eternal soul rests on what you do with Christ, okay? Not the Quran, not, not Muhammad. It's not your works. I know you're a young man. You, you, I think you said you were 18. I, I want to... 19. C- 19. And, and, you know, as Matt commended you, I want to commend you. I mean, you, I don't know many 19-year-olds that spend this much time uh, and, and have this much detail in understanding these things. And it's good that you study. But... What I want to challenge you to do is to study, not to refute it, but to understand it in it, in proper context. You know, when I wrote my book, What Do They Believe? I studied Islam. I gave it to a bunch of imams. I studied Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, Judaism, which is my background, Catholicism. The, the thing is, I gave those to experts that believe those things, 
And they said I was right in what I say, because I wasn't looking to refute them. I was looking to understand them so that I could argue as a Muslim. I can make the case a Muslim would make because I understand Islam. I could do the same thing with Catholicism, Judaism, and the others. Okay? And that's what I'm going to challenge you to do, is to read the Bible, not from the lens of the Quran, because the lens of the Quran has errors. And that's not what the Bible ends up teaching. If you if you remove that presuppositions that you have of, from the Quran and read the Bible, you're going to have a very different perspective than what the Quran gives it. That'd be my challenge to you, you know. Yeah. Anyways, man, I, I've got to um, go now. I should have, but thank you so much yeah. for letting well, me speak. I, I hope you come back yeah. in. I really do. I'm glad that you came in. And, and look, you can go to apologeticslive.com every Thursday night, or in your case, I guess it's really Friday morning. But <laughs> but I mean, the links we, no. we keep the link there, so you just have to go to that one website, and you're going to have it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, man. Well, I, we nice appreciate you, you. Appreciate you coming in. And really gives give some thought to to what we shared with you because, you know, we we don't want to see you, you know, face God and have Him as your judge. We'd rather have you face God and, you know, because of repentance, you would be in the faith of of Christ and be a child of God. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're gonna we're gonna close this up. What I'm gonna do for folks, uh, I was telling folks in the chat there, Matt. What I'm gonna do is take uh, this episode, and for the podcast, we're gonna split it up into two. So, what we heard at the beginning will be one episode. It'll be a shorter one. Uh, this this one went about. I think this discussion went about two hours, and it'd be good to have this full discussion with Muhammad and Matt. Um, by itself, there's a lot there that I know folks were saying they wanted to go back and listen to again. So, if you subscribe to Apologetics Live in your podcast app, whichever podcast app you have, I should be able to pick it up in all of them. But if you search for Apologetics Live, you'll be able to get this. And as each week they download, you can have it in a podcast form so you hear the audio wherever you are at your convenience. And so, again, I do want to just... Uh, you know, mention that uh, uh, for for Matt and I, if you care to support us, uh, you know, and and understand that when you go to Patreon and look for Matt Slick, you're supporting Matt Slick. Okay, that's not supporting Carm. This is actually a way you can give directly to Matt. Okay, to help him. He for folks who don't know, he's moving. Um, he's going to be moving to Arizona. It's quite a bit to move. His wife is, has very bad health. That's the reason that they have to do this move. And so you could help him out directly in some of that. Now, that won't be tax deductible, but if you're giving for that purpose, okay, then give to Carm, give to Striving Fraternity. But but if you want to directly help Matt, go to Patreon, search for Matt Slick. If you want to help Striving Fraternity, I don't get that money. That goes to Striving Fraternity, and that is tax deductible. Tax deductible. You can look up Striving Fraternity, and like I said, we're giving away free books um, if you're donating. And so, appreciate all the folks that are. So, um, with that, we're going to close out and just let folks know uh, next week we'll pick up again. I hope that folks come early. I know there was some folks in here that had questions, and we didn't get to all of you. Uh, encourage you to come back in next week. And uh, I know Manuel is here, Matt, and he's contacted me. Uh, I was uh, to see about 
translating some stuff in French for Carm. So we got to we got to vet him and, and probably set up a, a time to talk with him. Uh, but folks, if those who are here, if you want to come in next week, come in early, and uh, we can get to your questions. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. But with that, we want to thank you guys. Go check out karm.org. Check out Striving for Eternity. Um, also, check out my podcast, The Rap Report. I just dropped a very important podcast uh, with Todd Friel talking about discernment and some great, great principles he gave on how to do discernment, especially if you're blogging or doing things, podcasts, things like that. Some great principles for people to follow. So check that out. You can just search for Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report. So until next week, remember to go and strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. Okay. We're off. I'll just add everyone in.